So I want you to picture with me, uh, in your imagination, a stream. Okay, everybody got it? You got a stream? The water is, is clear, it's crystal. If you're from Northwestern PA, it might be a crick to you. I don't know. You can argue about that later. Uh, but in the stream, children are laughing, they're playing beside it. Um, maybe there's swans and there's geese that are swimming in it. In your, in your daydream, maybe you look down and you can see it so clearly. The stream is so clear that you can see rocks on the bottom. Maybe you reach down and scoop up one that looks like a certain shape to you. That's important, and you, you put it in your pocket. Um, maybe there's rainbow trout swimming in the bottom, or maybe it's koi fish. I don't care. It's your daydream. Just go ahead and whatever you want to see in the bottom, a million dollars in the bottom of that stream that makes your heart happy. And imagine that high on a, on a hill, far beyond anyone's sight, lives an old man who serves as the keeper of the springs. That's, that's his title, the keeper of the spring. And he had been hired so long ago that no one can remember a time when he wasn't there. Everyone just sort of knew the stream was present and knew that someone was taking care of it. And, and he would travel every day from the hill at which he lived down to the, the stream, down to the spring, and he would remove fallen branches that got in there from the trees, and he would take out the, the litter that would blow out of visitors' picnic baskets, and, and he would um, make sure that, that no beavers got in there and dammed up the stream so that there wasn't a flow but his work was, was largely unseen. If you weren't there at the moment that the old man was caring for the stream, you would never know that someone was even making sure that it was all tidied up. And one year, uh, the, the leaders of the town decided that they had better things to do than to uh, pay this old man anymore. There were roads to fix. There were, there were uh, taxes to collect there were services that they needed to offer. And giving money to some unseen stream cleaner who didn't even have a, a supervisor seemed like a luxury that they couldn't afford anymore. And so they told the old man, uh, we are not paying you to, do, to make sure the stream is taken care of anymore. Your duties are relieved. And so he, he leaves his post. And, and at first, no one really notices because the stream sort of, is on a flow, it's in a, it's in a rhythm, so, so it sort of takes care of itself until a big storm happens, the first storm of, of spring, and, and trees fall, and twigs, and branches, and, and waste from the farmers start, start going into the stream, and no one's taking care of it, and so all of a sudden it starts getting a little bit muddied, and a little bit stinky, and and it isn't looking quite as crystal clear, and the kids stop playing there because it's not safe anymore, and the, the swans and the geese find somewhere else to go. And before you know it, the town, the stream, is a, a bog. It's, it's not beautiful at all. It's maybe even the water is blackish, in it, and it looks totally different. And the beauty that used to flow between the banks of the streams and that fed the town is just completely obsolete anymore. And therefore, the village begins to suffer. Because the life of the village depended on that stream. 
they didn't realize it because no one seemed to give it priority, but the life of the village depended on the stream, and the life of the stream depended on the keeper. And so we take the keeper away, and the stream dies, and if the stream dies, the village dies. Now the story is about more than a stream. The stream represents your soul, and the keeper is you. And so often we, we say to ourselves, well, the things that we're doing uh, don't matter. We don't need to put as much priority on it. And so we stop being the keeper of the stream. But then all of a sudden, sort of before we know it, after a few winter storms come into play and, and a few picnics left unattended, we are standing in the middle of what feels like a huge mess inside of ourselves. We might even describe ourselves as a little bit of a mess. So I want to challenge you this morning, how healthy is your soul? How clear is your stream? Because it's up to you to take care of your soul. You have to make it a priority because no one else will. In fact, sometimes people try to make it their priority, but they can't. Your mom can't take care of your soul. (laughs) Your stream can only be clear if you as the keeper decide to take care of it. And last week we talked about having a centered soul, a soul totally dependent on Jesus, keeping him at the core of our decisions, not trying to control our life, but but trusting in Christ and keeping Christ as the center. And, And today I want to talk about what a rested soul looks like, a soul that inside of us doesn't feel so hurried and so busy. And I challenged you last week um, to get involved in our soul care class that's coming up in a few weeks. Mel and Sharon Berger are going to lead it with a team of people. And it's an eight-week sort of class on Wednesday night starting September 6th where you can get to sort of the bottom of why your soul is so murky. (laughs) Walking through some of that unforgiveness, maybe trace back in your life where you stop taking care of it. So that you can begin to clear up that stream again. And if you're interested in more information on that or to sign up, there's a table right outside in the lobby. I want to encourage you to stop there. I also asked you to take your picture at the photo booth in the lobby. And many of you did. I'm so thankful for that. We've been posting some of those online. Um, In fact, uh, this service was tested and approved by Cleet Collins. So I (laughs) put that picture up this morning. And I was thankful because he won the show. He he held all the, the statements up. And so I want you to stop there if you haven't had a chance today, if you're here for the very first time or you've been coming every week since we started. And we just want to mark this series in a tangible way that we're committed to taking care of our soul, that we're going to do this together. And so Michael will help you out after service if you haven't done that yet. But today I want to focus just for these next few minutes on our souls that need rest, our souls that need rest. So you don't have to answer this out loud. But how many of you would say that when you lay down at night, your mind just won't shut off? Like you are just laying there and all you can think about is everything, how fast 7 a.m. is coming (laughs) and how many things are going to start your day or how many things you left unfinished the day of. How many of you are constantly thinking about what you have to do next while you're in the present thing? So you are having lunch, 
but all you can think about is what you have to do after lunch. And then you get to that task, and all you're thinking about is what you got to do next. And all you're thinking about is what you're going to do next. And you're never actually living in the very present. You're just doing, thinking about the thing that you're going to do next. All right, how about this one? When someone asks you, how are you, is the first word that pops into your head, tired. <laughs> I am just tired. I am overwhelmed. Is that the very first way that you would describe your life right now? It's interesting because in the scripture, uh, it describes this feeling. I want to take us to Ecclesiastes 2, 22 through 23. It says, What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain, and even at night, their minds do not rest. This, too, is meaningless. So even Solomon had those moments that we're talking about where he couldn't shut off his mind, and he saw the human race experiencing this, too. You know, our body needs rest. We all know that. And we know what happens when we don't get enough sleep. Joel gets cranky, let me tell you. He doesn't get enough sleep. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm probably crankier. But in the same way, our soul needs rest. In the same way our soul needs rest, how do we get our soul to rest? How, how do we escape sort of that rat race of life? You might say to me, yes, Nicole, that describes me exactly, but what do I do about it? Because Monday's tomorrow, and here we go again, and I've still got all the kids I have in my house still there, and how is this going to work? You know, the Bible uses the word easy one time. It uses the word easy one time. Do you want to know where it is? Act like you do, because then I'll tell you. All right, you ready? Gary's got it. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. This is what it says. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That word easy, that's a soul word. That is not a circumstance word. This word does not describe our assignments from God. Hey, Abraham, uh, I hate to inconvenience you, but could you please, you know, make sure that you get this task done I give you? Hey, Moses, like, no big deal, but lead the army to the edge of the water. I won't do anything until I get there. It'll be easy. God doesn't say that. He doesn't say, let me give you an easy assignment. The scripture is not saying our life will be easy if we come to Jesus. In fact, if you aim for the easy way, your life will probably be harder. But the word easy in the scripture is describing an internal feeling. It's describing our soul. If, if you have an easy soul, your capacity for tackling hard assignments will grow. The soul was not made for an easy life, but the soul was made for an easy yoke. There's a difference. The soul wasn't made for an easy life, but the soul was made for an easy yoke or an easy burden. So maybe you have been praying the wrong prayer. Maybe you've been chasing the wrong goal. Don't ask God for an easy road. Don't, don't ask God for the easy job or the easy choice or the easy way out. 
God, please don't let them find out I lied. Please, 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 please. Don't, don't ask God for, for an easy life, but ask God for a soul that is easy and the burden that is light so that you can face anything. And when any difficult circumstance comes, when any hard thing comes to your doorstep, like Pastor Don talked about, when you walk into a battle that you never picked, when your soul is easy, when your heart it has that easy yoke, you can face it. In Matthew 11, Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Learn from these elements that infuse grace. There is a way to live that will make your soul easy and rested. There is a way to take a light burden. And if you want a rested soul, there are things, decisions you have to make inside of your heart that you need to decide. This is what I believe. This is what I think. This is what I receive. And that will create an easy yoke, an easy burden, so that everything swirling around you can be hard and difficult, but you are standing there with an easy yoke. So do you want to know how to do that? <laughs> I'm going to tell you anyway. So, The first is this. Decide who determines your acceptance. Decide who determines your acceptance. In order for us to have an easy and rested soul, we have to stop trying to earn our acceptance from God. We have to stop trying to prove to God that we are worthy of his love and affection because the truth is we are not. We will never be good enough. We will never do enough religious duties. Remember we talked about a few weeks ago, the law. We will never live perfectly up to the law with Zacchaeus. We have to stop trying to prove to God that we're worthy of his love and affection and just receive the acceptance he offers through his grace. Just receive it. Even to the point where we admit, God, I will never, I can't be holy. I am a broken sinner person. And God says, I know, and I love you anyway. And to have that moment, maybe even every day, with Jesus until we begin to believe it. And then on top of that, we have to stop trying to prove to other people that we're, we're important or that we deserve their attention we have to stop trying to prove to ourselves that we're valuable, that, that we mean something. You know, sometimes we get stuck in this cycle of, um, you know, five more pounds. That'll make me feel better about myself. If I, if I just, get, just, get, just get to that number goal, that weight, or, or if I had a girlfriend, I'd be satisfied. Everything else is, is all firing, but if, I, but if I get this girlfriend, like this girlfriend will help me feel more, you know, more accepted, or I can move forward in life, or, or if I can just get enough money for retirement, if I can just get this amount of money for retirement, I can rest easy. But the truth is, all those efforts and what-ifs are empty if our acceptance between us and understanding God accepting us is broken. Did you know that Jesus depended on God's acceptance in such a strong way because he faced massive human rejection? That may be hard to remember because we show up every week to worship Jesus. But when he was here on earth, the Son of God was rejected so strongly by people. Remember, they killed him. They rejected him to the point of complete death. And so the only way Jesus' soul could rest while he was here on earth is if he listened and was accepted and stood 
on the promises of God. Twice in the scripture, it's recorded that the very voice of God tells Jesus crystally clear that he is accepted by him. So uh, we see it in Matthew 3. Uh, Jesus decides to get baptized and the heavens open, if you remember. And in verse 17, a voice from heaven yells out, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And without a shadow of a doubt, there's a moment of acceptance between Jesus and God. And then not long before Jesus would go to the cross, he climbs a mountain of transfiguration, excuse me. And at the top of the mountain, God shows up and he says in front of the other people that are with Jesus in Matthew 17, 5, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And God knew that Jesus would need to know without a shadow of a doubt that God was pleased with him. That this acceptance would never be anything about what anyone says. People can come up and, and encourage Jesus and tell him he's doing a good job and thank him for healing their, their family members, but that could never be what Jesus rested in. Because God knew that the amount of human criticism that Jesus would experience would take anyone down if it wasn't for the fact that he knew that Absolutely, 100%, God accepted him. Jesus' road wasn't easy, but his soul was easy because he knew that he was accepted by God. Now, I don't know anything uh, to the degree that Jesus did, but I can tell you that since taking this lead pastor assignment in the last six months or so, there have been some well-meaning people, people that, that even like me, People that are very nice who have told me uh, for a variety of reasons that I can't do this job. And I am, I am being totally transparent that th there are times where that stung a little bit. But in those moments, I have had the opportunity to remind myself beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was the only vote I needed. And God is the only person that I need to know without a shadow of a doubt that he has commissioned, assigned, and anointed me for this. I love all of you, but God is the only one that I needed to tell me that. And because God's acceptance is stronger than human rejection. And if you are wrestling with human rejection of any kind today, I want you to have the same experience that I have had. I want you to hear God's acceptance is stronger than any of that. And when you get the criticism, you know, spit out the meat and eat the bones. If it's something you need to change about yourself, then you work on that. But if it is something that is just a complete rejection of who you are, you have that moment with Jesus and say, God, you're the only vote I need. <laughs> that you have called me, you have anointed me, you have assigned me to this, and so I will show up. And I will do these things that you're asking me to do. And when our soul is restless or struggling or tired, it's often because we are listening to the voices that aren't God. And we are not hearing the acceptance that he's giving us. And we're working so hard at trying to get people to like us that we feel tired. And today I want those chains to be broken from you because the truth is, because God accepted Jesus if you have accepted Jesus and Jesus willingly stood in your place, God has also accepted us. It has nothing to do with anything you've done. We can look at these scriptures as if God is talking about us. 
This is my son or my daughter. With him I am well pleased. That is about us. Because if you are a believer in Jesus, God made a way for you to be accepted the way that he accepted his son. So we need to look at acceptance, right? All right, number two. The second decision in having a rested soul is decide what will be your sustenance. What will be your sustenance? Um, so in the scripture, Jesus did things that allowed grace to keep replenishing his spirit. He, he purposely engaged in activities that were his sustenance. It's interesting. We obviously don't see Jesus' every play-by-play of every minute that he was on earth. But the scripture tells us a lot of things. And here's some of the things the scripture records that Jesus did. He prayed. He had a close circle of friends that encouraged him. In fact, uh, in the scripture, it says he chose the 12, not so they can go do his dirty work or he can boss some people around. He chose the 12 so that they would be with him. That's what it says. So that they would just be with him. He, he went to corporate worship. He showed up. He fed his mind with scripture. He enjoyed God's creation. He took long walks. Jesus took naps. I saw this shirt this week. Uh, Jesus took naps. Be like Jesus. I loved it. (laughs) Jesus took naps. Jesus hung out with little kids. Jesus spent time with with people that that weren't religious, that, that, that didn't even understand the scriptures. Jesus went fishing. Men, you can use that excuse later for your wife. I'm okay with that. He, he went fishing. He did these things. Why did Jesus do these things? Because Jesus created strategically moments that he knew would sustain his soul. And we must engage in practices that connect us to God's grace and energy and joy. Some of us would say, spending time with little kids does not refuel me. <laughs> That's okay. Fishing does not refuel me. <laughs> but... There is something, there are things that you do that refuels you. There are things that all of us do that refuel us. Corporate worship and prayer and having mentors and people in our life and friendships. But there are other things that God created just for you. So what fills up your soul? What makes you feel closer and more connected to Jesus? Now, I'm not talking about things that blow off steam or things that make you forget about your problems because there are actions you can do for that that is not connecting you to Jesus. So make sure you're causing a separation there. For me, it's the, it's the ocean. I don't know why. But every time you get me a couple days standing on the edge of the ocean, it's like my inner Moana, if you haven't seen that movie. Ask a third grader. But, um, you, you know, I just have the, it makes me feel so small. And I remember how big God is. But the soul was not made to run on empty. And oftentimes, we can't always identify when our soul is dried up. We, we don't know. There's no gauge, you know. There's no, just on your Apple Watch, how's your soul running? You know, it doesn't, it's not in there. And so we don't often know. But let me tell you some signs um, that I believe, some outward symptoms so that you can uh, figure out how filled up your soul is. Okay, so do a mental checklist here. Um, When your soul is dried up or empty, sometimes things bother you more than they should. So all of a sudden, like your spouse chewing gum becomes this massive character flaw, you know. (laughs) 
what are you doing? When, you know, things are bothering you more than they should. Um, it's hard to make up your mind about a simple decision. You're just so dried up. You're so tired. Your soul is so just empty. Um, maybe your impulses to eat or drink or spend or crave are harder to resist than usual. Perhaps there's something, a temptation that you have overcome, and it's been months or years, and all of a sudden you just have this just huge temptation to do it again. That could be indication that your soul isn't full, that it isn't rested. Um, you have less courage. You have less faith to take risks. You're, you're fearful. Another potential symptom is your judgment suffers. You, you may, maybe you make a poor judgment call, and as you're engaging in the sin, you think, how did I get here? I, I, this isn't me. What, what am I doing? These are the SOS signals. These are the, the save our soul signals. These are the moments where you need to evaluate your sustenance. What are you feeding your soul? Are you feeding it? And make a, a, a plan to course correct what that is. Maybe even talk to a trusted friend or a mentor about it and say, hey, here's what I'm feeling. And, and, and you think of action steps. Okay, this is what I need to do. And you get back on track. All right, the third decision that um, you need to make is what will give you significance? What will give you significance? I want to read to us another story uh, of Jesus's life in Matthew 4. And we see a really imp important account of Jesus. And Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the, the enemy. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple and says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus says to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. And so the temptation that we're reading here may look like bread and, and power and, and uh having all those things, and that's incorporated into it. But ultimately, this is a temptation of significance. It's the enemy saying to Jesus, who are you really? Prove it. If you're the son of God, then why don't you turn these into bread? If you're the son of God, then surely when you jump off this cliff, God's going to send angels to protect you. If you're the son of God, you'll know that, that you know, I, ca I can't give you all of this stuff. He just stands before me and says, who are you really? Who do you think that you are? Prove it. Prove it. And Jesus is resisting the temptation to feel like he has to prove his significance. And Jesus knew that significance is not about what we do, but who we are. Now, I'm sure you've heard the, the saying, um, if the enemy can't make you bad, he'll make you, do you know this one? Busy. One of you know it. Good. If the enemy can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. But I want to unpack that saying just a little bit, because I believe that here's what the scripture is saying as a whole when he's talking about significance. There's a difference between being busy and being hurried. 
There's a difference between your soul being busy and being hurried, and the difference is where you find your significance. So busy, I don't believe, is wrong. There is a lot to do for the kingdom of God. Did you see those kids in the picture in Cambodia? We can't afford to sit here and do nothing. Uh, uh, The orphans need help. There's homeless people who need us to step up and move to action. Your kids need you to love them and take them to every activity that, that you want to enroll them in. Your church needs you to show up and help serve. Your mom needs you to help her take down her wallpaper or whatever she needs. Here's the thing. Busy isn't inherently wrong. In fact, sitting around doing nothing can be equally dangerous. Have you ever um, maybe been sick or you've taken some time off and you've sat around for days on end and you actually feel worse? Have you ever done that? That's not rest. That's depression. I mean, that's just, that's not good when you're like, I'm just going to sit here and rest for 42 days. That's not what, what God is saying in here. Jesus is not saying sit around and do nothing. In fact, he's saying that will make your soul not healthy. That will make your soul broken and, 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 and hurting because serving people is where we find great significance and serving people is where we find great joy. So busy isn't inherently bad. There's a lot to do for the kingdom of God. God put us on earth so that we could be fruitful, that we could do the things that he's asking us to do. But this hurried is this inner condition of the soul that, that comes from when we decide that we gain significance from what we're busy doing. It's this moment where we say, because I do all these things, I'm important. Because I am accomplishing all of this, I must be in God's top 10 list. Or people really should appreciate me. Or these are the things, if these get taken away from me, I don't know what I would do with my life. And that attitude, that soul position causes us to be empty and drained and unavailable to God. You know, Jesus was busy. He, he did a lot of things while he was here, but he was never hurried. He was never, ever hurried. Have you ever met someone that they did so much for God, but they seem completely calm and at peace on the inside, and you thought, I don't know how they do that. I, I don't know how they can balance all the things that they're, that they're doing and still show up to work with the same shoes on. How do they do that? And I really believe that when you are rested, when your significance lies within who you are and not what you do, you can be busy doing the assignment God has put before you and concurrently not be hurried. And the key to find your significance in who God made you to be, not the things you're doing for him. That will give you the freedom to do all that you want to do, all that God puts before you, to do as much as God is asking you to without making it that your soul is significant because of it. So here's what we're going to do. Rick's going to come up, and I'm going to put up these words on the screen, acceptance, sustenance, and significance. And these are the three decisions that we need to make. Because if, if we make wrong decisions about these things, the burden, the, the yoke that we have will not be easy. It will be heavy. If we decide that we have to prove ourselves, we have to earn acceptance from God, earn acceptance from other people. If, if we forget to feed our souls and we're just uh, not, not putting that sustenance inside of us that, that brings us rest. If we try to achieve significance by things we're doing and not who we are. The burden will be heavy. Our, 
our, our yoke will feel, make life feel tired and, and broken and our souls won't be rested. And so he's gonna just play uh, for two minutes or so on the keys. And I just, would you just take a deep breath and sit for one minute? And would you ask yourself these three things? Say, God, where's my acceptance coming from? What is my sustenance? What gives me significance? And I'm gonna pray in a minute. I'm believing God's gonna speak to you in this quiet moment of rest. So God is with the peace that surpasses all understanding. It is with the total reliance on the acceptance, Lord, that you offer and the sustenance that you provide and the significance that you put on who we are and now what we do, that we leave this place in your peace. We ask God that this week would even look different because we're trusting you. Our soul is resting in the fact that you are God and you will remain on your throne whether our world feels like it's spinning out of control or not. So God, we stand before you. We ask for the, even if we're busy, Lord, that we won't be hurried and that the rest will overflow inside of us and out even to others. God, we love you. We wanna be people that serve you. And it's in your name we pray, amen. Hey, have an awesome week. Go take a nap.